and welcome to Northwest of Five podcast, where we talk about business and tech in the Northwest, although we are venturing a bit further afield this week. Um, I have my co-host, Zach Giorgio. Say hi, Zach. Hi, how you doing? Great. And we have Birab Patel, uh, MD of Atom CDO. Hi, Birab. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, really excited, really excited. Do you want to just start off telling us, just tell us about yourself, tell us what you do. So yes, I'm the Managing Director of Atom CTO. So we primarily work with, uh, let's say, four sets of people, non-technical founders, technical founders, small business owners, and investors, right? So the idea here is that when we founded the Atom CTO, you know, I've been in tech for 25 plus years now, right? And uh, I've been CTO for businesses around the world. And whenever I was in different countries or working in different areas, we always looked at me and the other guys that I kind of founded Atom with, we always looked at the local accelerators and incubators, right? And one of the things that we found was that there's a lot of expertise around, you know, product market fit, marketing, branding, all that kind of stuff, but there isn't huge amounts of expertise around tech and the advice people were getting was pretty poor. So when we started Atom, it was really to try and solve that problem to help startups get affordable experience tech advice uh, that can help them ensure that their business doesn't fail because of poor tech, right? Because we all know the problems. It's like things take too long, uh, it costs too much, people don't get what they want. But um, yeah, I mean, from my own personal journey, I started off as a lawyer. I did a law degree and then decided I didn't like lawyers and went off and um, and actually ended up interviewing in loads of different places, but ultimately ended up at PwC as a management consultant. And then they sent me off to Lithuania back in 1999. Uh, so worked in tech there, big transformation project, and then never looked back really. And then I've been working abroad. So I've lived in, where have I lived in? I've lived in Lithuania, Norway, bits of Scandinavia, Ireland, Portugal, US, Bangkok, Singapore. So I've been doing tech around the world in different places. It's amazing. I think we could, I think we could spin this out into about three, your own series, maybe. It sounds like you've been to so many places. That's incredible. And then the journey of Atom CTO, when did that start? So the, we had, so I became the CTO of a, so it starts actually weirdly in Ireland, right? So in 2013, I took over as a CTO for a new startup as a kind of global supply chain finance business. And then over five, six years, I built up a team there. And then that, business kind of I left that business in 2016-17 beginning of 2017 and um, eventually like that kind of for whatever reasons and there's lots of good reasons and that's kind of an epic story in itself that business um, failed essentially or went shut down and I was at that time in in Thailand and working for a friend of mine and CTO of his business and we got that kind of business in Ireland spawned off a number of kind of other startups and the guys who were working at that business like a lot of those different startups asked me to come in and help them with tech now obviously they couldn't really afford like a full-on cto so i said okay well why don't we come and the rest of my tech team was around so they're like four or five other guys who i kind of work with at a senior level they were around we said oh well, we can do this fractionally right rather than you paying for us being there full time we can help build your software help do the roadmap and then we can try and make a business out of this and then Six years later, there's about 30 of us now. Um, we tend not to do like lots of mini projects. We try and work with people over the longer term. So our very first clients are still with us, right? So that's how we how we work. Great. And so the so that's your model then. You try you try to have long-term engagements with businesses if you can, rather than jump in, fix a load of stuff, you know, hire a CTO and then leave. You'd rather have that longer term. 
Yeah, it depends on the on the people. We have done the the whole CTO hire a, a couple of times, right? Where businesses have have raised significant money, and then it makes way more sense that they go off and and then build and develop their own team, right? Because that's it. Just you know, if you're raising suddenly like 10, 15 million, that's what you want to do, right? Um, but then a number of them have been so a lot of the companies that have come to us very early on, we've worked with them from kind of literally idea stage to them helping them raise the first set of million or whatever it is. And then going on and and the way it's worked is that they kind of felt that they didn't really need to to go anywhere else because we've we've grown the team with them and we've obviously got the knowledge from the from the early stages and even when they raise additional funds you know what they tend to do is hive off certain areas of the business right so what we try to say to them is take the business knowledge in back into the business right don't leave it in the heads of the developers go hire maybe a senior team leader or a business analyst or your testers or your project managements hire those guys internally and then because you know essentially developers you can look at them as a as a kind of a toolkit right more than anything else cool i mean i, I love the fact you know you've been around for, for quite a long time i'll jump onto the fact of how you think things have changed in the tech world in the years that you've been doing obviously pwc trained i mean you know looking back at your, your history there i mean computers weren't even really massively around or anywhere near what the, what, what they do today certainly so two things for me. One is how have things changed for you over the years? Um, and that sort of spirals into your role as well, how your role has changed. And secondly, fractional CTO, that's just been coming up quite a lot in the past 18 months, I'd say. So can we touch on a couple of those parts, please? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to kind of unpick there. So, you know, PwC, the bit I was working at got bought by IBM. And I remember talking to the guys, the old... Um, solution architects there and they they say oh yeah you know when i joined i used to take a hammer to the to the mainframe right to to get it working because you know it's all mechanics i think for us what i've seen there's been a lot of change but then a lot of things have stayed the same so what has stayed the same is there's still really crappy tech out there right really just the shysters out there selling you you know websites or software development for like ten dollars an hour fifteen dollars an hour it has not changed over the 25 years people have still got the same problems they're not getting what they want they are still overpaying for for stuff and things are taking too long, right? It, it, it's been there since I was, I've started and it hasn't changed now, no matter what level of business you're at, whether it's a, a large enterprise or a, or a small business. But what I feel that has changed is the attitude towards tech, which I think is a bit interesting in that part of my team is in India, right? And I, back in the early days at 2000 was out in in India working with IBM setting up the some of the initial outsourcing centers right and I don't know maybe it's just because I'm old and that's how I look back at life I always felt that when, when people were doing tech in the early stages there was a lot of curiosity around it right everyone had a side project people were trying to all kind of you know they were very very interested in technology and pretty much all techies you met were pure techies right whereas as you move along now and you start talking to again similar because like I said, over 25 years, I've been working with the guys in India. The early stage guys all had a side hustle. Now, people are, when I'm interviewing and I'm saying, okay, what side projects do you have? They don't have any, right? IT has become more of a job for them in the sense that it's become less of a passion and more of a job. Now, maybe I, again, I'm maybe I'm a bit skewed, but there's that, that curiosity, I, I think is, it's there in certain areas. Like if you look at blockchain AI, everyone's suddenly like all loving that. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, when I was, working in Norway, all of my team were doing something on the side, right? They all had some sort of side hustle going on, whether it was creating Raspberry Pi, you know, entertainment systems or whatever it is, right? They had that. And I'm seeing less of that now. Maybe it's because there's way more people in the market because there were fewer, obviously, 
techies back in the day, right? And I think now there's more people than proportionally like you're gonna have fewer people who are gonna be that that interested. That that's something I've noticed. And I'm not quite sure whether it's something that I'm kind of making up myself or whether it's something that is actually real out there. But you can say I I think I agree. I think that's that is something I've noticed too. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There are more people attracted to the careers because we need more people doing it. And the people who joined technology in the early days when there wasn't even that many jobs or there was, you know, just enough jobs were the people who were super enthusiastic. Like they just loved it and were doing it all the time. And they're your sort of, you know, early adopters. Um as it as it grows, people are going like, yeah, I like tech. And then you get people like, I do it as a job. And I mean, presumably you get people at the other tail who are like, I hate it, but I'll do it anyway. Um, but I, yeah, I think you're definitely getting more of a spectrum of of that of the passion. And that's why, you know, you when people are hiring, they're looking for that again. They're trying to go back and get those super enthusiastic people who are working on it inside projects. The difficulty I have is if you look for those kind of signals when you're hiring people, you're automatically going to exclude people who don't have the time to do it because they have family commitments or whatever. And then you're no longer having the diverse workforce that you want. So it's this trade-off is like, I want to see those signals, but I don't exclude people who are not giving me those signals as well. So tricky one. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the, the weird thing that I found is a lot more people are open to telling me when I'm interviewing them that they want to start their own business within the next two, three years. And I'm like, well, hang on. So, <laughs> so that's all very nice and well, but then surely am I expecting after two years you're leaving and going, and then during those two years, you're going to be working on your side business while you're working for us. So that, so I don't know, maybe that's the younger generation being a bit too honest with, with the way they are. But yeah, kind of glad that you echoed that, that sentiment. Um, I guess the other things that I've, I would say that I've seen, it's just that globalization of tech, right? Which I think is great. So my team is based in, Portugal, Greece, Germany, we had some guys in South Africa, but problem with South Africa is infrastructure, right? Because they still have load shedding and all these kinds of things. So it's hard for them to do, put in a full day's work, right? And India and Malaysia. So now we can have a global team. And at one point with one of my other companies, we had people in Australia, America, sorry, New Zealand, America, India, and, and in UK. So you could have 24 hour development, right? And you can pick and if you're, able to manage remotely and deal with different cultures not everybody's able to do that but if you are you can really take advantage of great quality people around the globe who've also got different perspectives as well which is which is what you need that diversity of thought right which i think is a big thing that is a little bit underestimated because people talk about remote working and you know this that, and the other but you know you really can get good talent in different countries now absolutely and i think it has been great to see employers being so much more open about where people work from that's that's helped you know incredibly you know trying to hire for people who have very scarce skills and only been able to shop in your 20 mile radius of your office is kind of nuts when you look back at it um but employers and and we could go on talk about that forever because actually employers are now moving back some are moving back towards a well we want you one day a week in the office which to me is like worst of both worlds because you now have to, you can only shop in that area, but you don't, you're not in person all the time. So in person all the time obviously has benefits, but why, why only, why only shop in the small area and then not have them in, in person to do one or the other would be, would be my thought on that. Um, but I want to come back to something Zach was saying, if I, if I can, you were saying about how fractional CTO as a, a phrase, I think the word fractional actually in general has become a hot phrase, a replacement for consultant, maybe. What do you think? Yeah, so I think when we started out, when I started Atom back in 2017, right, it was a huge educational journey 
to try and tell people you can have a virtual CTO because everyone just said, well, surely I have to have someone who's sitting next to me in the office who can be there 24 seven and, and live off my ideas. And what we had, I, I think there's two things here. One is that the, the role of a CTO has changed, right? So during this whole entrepreneurial boom, everybody became a CTO. Like if you were just a, you know, a normal, if you were like a senior developer, suddenly you became a CTO, right? So that in my head kind of, bastardize that terminology right because you suddenly like a developer is becoming a cto you but they're not thinking about strategy they're not thinking about operations compliance governance all these wonderful things that you need to think about as a cto right so a lot of what we tried to do was say to people look okay the very early stages you need someone who can help you visualize and an architect and, and deal with a strategy then you need a bunch of developers to go and do it and then you need someone on the back end to help you raise investment and 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 go out there and and give you know, put the operations behind it. And so you don't need a, someone like me the whole time, but you do need someone like me at the beginning if you're going to get it done right and move forward. So that was was hard because even now, there's very few companies doing what we, we are doing. There's lots of individuals going around and there's a lot of managed services companies that say they can do CTOs, but they're not. They're just doing infrastructure pieces. So it's, I, I, I think I know all of the guys in the UK doing it and uh, a few in the US, right? There's not many companies like ours out there. There's, but there are big CTO networks out there. So you've got CTO Craft here, Fast CTO. There's lots of big networks out there where you can get individual CTOs. And, and there's a lot of people out there like myself who've got 25 years plus knowledge who've done like some of the guys in my network because we've Atom has, has its own CTO network, right? So some of the guys in our network are pretty high-powered people who you know, can just come in for a few days a month and really give you like some massively beneficial insights, right? So yeah, I think it has changed. And I think it's um I think fractional CTO did exist, but it existed at a much more enterprise level where people were coming in and doing interim CTO roles, right? Where they were kind of coming in and bridging a gap between two people come hiring. Like you'd have an interim CFO or a CEO, whatever it is. So yes. I'm interested about that education piece because I still you said, oh, it still continues today. And I think it does because companies automatically go straight for the we need you know, a CTO, someone at that level of seniority and that need to be five days a week. And it's like, if you're a small stage startup, you probably don't. You probably need, you know, one day a week, two days a month, whatever it is, sort of pushing pushing you forward and getting you ready for next round of investment or post next round of investment going, how do we how do we execute on the plan that we said we were going to execute on uh, when we were searching for that round? And it's just really interesting listening to you talk about it in that particular way, because I think what you tend to find is, I mean, you know, people are still hung up on titles, full stop. Yeah. So people want to be called a CTO, even if they're only a head of or a senior lead developer or whatever it may be for that matter. People are just hung up on titles, full stop. But it's quite interesting to hear you talk about it in that way that actually there's so many different facets to it. It's like, you know, a HR professional. Everyone thinks HR professional. Yeah, they do HR. Okay, so what does that encompass? Well, what about L and D, and what about this, and what about there's so many different facets to it. So, so it's just really interesting to hear you sort of say, and that there's so many elements, and that's something that's new for me to hear you sort of talk about. You need somebody like me to come in at the start, you know, because it will help with the investment piece, it will help with the funding piece, and so on, and somebody else, and so on. I presume it's how you scale it and take it forward and so on. So each person does a different element too. So it's just interesting. It's just interesting though that this fractional CTO keeps getting mentioned and the bit with that John mentioned there, is it just another, is it a consultant again? Or is it not a consultant again? Is it a generic word for the things that you've mentioned there? 
if that does that make sense yeah so it's it depends on how you do it right so if you're looking at someone like atom cto right what we do is we work very closely with the business owners and so we're very clear that we don't work with any other techies so we do come into companies where there are already CTOs or tech teams in place. And oftentimes what we're doing there is to try and re-bridge that gap between tech and the business, right? So the the people who typically bring us into a project are the business owners or the founders, right? They're not someone technical because generally the technical people think they can handle it, but obviously there's a, there's a breakdown between the business and the tech. So we kind of step in or we're coming in at the very early stages because someone needs to, to refine it. And when we're doing that, we are working, as we're working with the business owner, the CEO, we're very much getting involved in the business itself, right? And looking at it from a holistic perspective because that's what a CTO needs to do. You need to come in, okay, what are your, what's your value chains within the business? What are your activities? How you, you know, how you look at the business architecture first and then you kind of look at the systems and and figure out whether you've got the right teams in place, the right technology in place, is it efficient? Is what you're putting in actually providing you value and, and creating additional value for the business in, in revenue, right? Because we, I've always said at the very beginning that people see tech as a cost center when it really is a driver for growth. And if you're looking at it as just purely a spend, then you're not looking at it in the right way, right? You need to be looking at it as a way of of driving either efficiencies or you know some cost savings or additional revenue. Shouldn't be looking at it as a kind of a money pit. So. If you're coming in and working with a, a business owner in that sense, I think that is different from being, it is obviously a consultancy, but it's it's different because you're being a bit more embedded and you can influence the business a little bit as well. Because again, one of the key things that we do is align that tech strategy with the business strategy. But a lot of the times the business strategy isn't well thought through. So we help them then understand that business strategy. And yes, it's a consultancy in the sense that we're there, but we actually get a bit more hands-on, right? And we'll, we'll work with the team or put in additional people so for a good example is there's a company we're about to invest in so we also invest in companies right so where they they built a they were building an mvp it's out in in zambia they used one of the biggest companies out there to build it and they were they actually searched online googled me and found me right and what we ended up doing was just putting in one of our team members to act as that bridge between the business and the development agency because the whole relationship had broken down Right. So then we're not really consulting. Then we're embedding ourselves in in that team. And actually they see our team as their team. Whereas there are other bigger players out there who are those typical dudes who come in a suit, charge you three grand a day and will consult on a on a set project. Those exist, but again, it, it's kind of at that higher, higher level, right? I mean, it's interesting, just again, your opening point was people see it as a lot of, a lot of businesses see it as a spend rather than actually the value that it adds. But I think you can look at that in numerous different functions, whether you look at that in HR functions, whether you look at that in marketing functions, because sometimes what you can't see, unfortunately, as, as a founder is, particularly marketing is a great one for it. How do you actually see that somebody saw an advert once and then contacted you six months ago? So they tend to share away from it and they tend to go for arguably just having a presence rather than actually investing in a business and that's at the end of the day that's why vcs and p how you know all these types of people are so good at it because they invest in that right from the start and have got a really really clear plan whereas i think most businesses um i don't say i won't say wing it but certainly learn along the way i agree i think a lot of people don't it's the thought process that people put in a People see, especially with technology, right? They see it as I want to build an app. And I always say like an app is not a business, right? 
if you want to, you're building a business, not an app. It's that whole kind of, um, what's it called? Jobs to be done, the outcome, like the outcome thought process, right? People don't go to a a bank to get a loan. They go to a bank because they want to buy a car or a house, right? That's the key. So you don't build tech just to build an app. You build it because you want to do something for your customers, you know, provide value for them, right? Yeah, totally. Totally see where you're coming from with it. And it's interesting, it's refreshing just just hearing you talk about it in the respect of like a lot of people don't look at it, like you say, in that way until you've just sort of literally laid it out to, to all our listeners, by the way, John. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is a shift from in the, in the industry, from businesses that have a focus on tech away from the ones who sort of saw it as that cost center. Obviously, the CTO is hugely important. If you're not a tech business, you're probably not thinking about it properly because almost every business now has got to be enabled at a minimum by tech, even if they're just buying off the shelf and really need to be thinking about, well, what is our USP? Why why are we different? How can we you know, transcend what's happening elsewhere in the market so that we can be a visionary business you know, and disrupt the market and so on? I think the business that are continuing to just pay lip service to technology and have the the CTO or whatever sat in the corner and just asking them like, Hey, why did the site go down? You're wasting their time, your time and an opportunity. Sorry. I just want to add to that because I think it's a really, really valid point because actually if you think about it, if we took a random selection of of 10,000 people across the UK and say, what's the biggest change in your world in the past 20 years, everyone will say it's tech. You know, I've got a mother at home who's now, stressed all the time because she's having to do a banking through her app and she's never done something like that and all of a sudden she's having to do that so it's again it comes back to that whole point about the investment piece like you said earlier on and the the reality of it is you know it's been the biggest game changer for every single person so so why wouldn't you spend more money on it why wouldn't you think it through why wouldn't you align it with your business strategy why would you not then take it forward it, it makes it makes total sense i think what was interesting when i came back to the uk to uh, after about 20 years right to set up atom and i spent a lot of time in croydon and they've got like 12,000 businesses because it's the majority of those are micro businesses right so when you start talking to people their early stage and they're like two three band people that hairdressers or whatever it is what the shift now is that when I started talking to people six years ago that oh I don't do tech now pretty much if you go to hairdressers they'll they'll have a their own point of sale system they'll have a website they'll be on Instagram showing off their things suddenly they've, they've embraced it but not knowing that they've embraced tech right uh, but then also not understanding. So what happens if it goes down, right? Are you accepting cash? Are you, how are you dealing with your cards? Which is that extra layer that that CTO would bring. I mean, I'm not saying you need to have a CTO for hairdressers or tattoo parlors or whatever it is, right? But it, it's just that idea of there is that additional level of, okay, what are your risks? Because I think a lot of what the CTO brings to the table is understanding the risks within the business and understanding, you know, it's that whole business continuity piece, right? That is needed no matter what size of business you are. And that's what people need to start thinking about a little bit more than they do think. And, you know, the reality of it is even if you don't, you're still going to be using some tech systems somewhere, as you say, point of sale. A business like us, you know, if we, we look at all the systems that we use, whether that be LinkedIn, whether that be our Zero system, whether that be our CRM, et cetera, et cetera, the more skilled the people are within the business of using these systems in the first place, means that you're going to get more efficiency, full stop. Your monthly spend, Zach, and I'm not asking you to tell, but, you know, it must be quite a lot on, you know, your LinkedIn and your, you know, paying for 
you know, all your subscriptions, everything, when you start adding it all up, it comes quite a lot, right? I mean, it must be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You think about if, if, if you think about our, our, our CRM system, Bullhorn, zero, total job, CV library. Now <laughs> you said it. I need to do a review on that. But, <laughs> but they're force multipliers. I mean, done properly, they will accelerate your business more than an extra pair of pants, right? So that's the point of all technology. I'll tell you what's more interesting for me, and again, it comes back to what we discussed earlier on, it's how embedded they become. You know, they become so reliant once we've got them. I mean, these these things are an absolute no-brainer, like your zero system and your CRM, but some of the ones that aren't necessarily, you, you lived without for quite a while, like a button that clicked to help you with some excellent Boolean searches, you know, um, a system that tells all about our KPIs. Actually, these systems, once they're in, you can't wean yourself off them easily. And by the way, if there's any suppliers listening, of course we can wean ourselves off them. We really <laughs> don't put the prices up. Um, <laughs> it, it quickly becomes a spaghetti, right? Which is the other thing that is a little bit of a risk for most businesses. So a, a great example is zero. How many companies know that zero doesn't back up their, their data? You should really back up your zero data, right? Because yes, they're a big company, they're, they're resilient, but you own that data and actually you should really be backing it up yourselves so that if something does go wrong, you, you at least have that copy, right? Uh, similarly, with a lot of systems, when you're using different types of CRM systems or different kind of marketing tools, the question then becomes is where's your, do people start thinking about where's the latest or the up, most up-to-date set of information? And how do these things interact with each other? And do you end up, and then you've got GDPR on top of that, right? Which causes a bunch of other issues. So I think it, it, it quickly becomes a spaghetti and it quickly becomes into something where you, you become reliant, but then you don't know what the risks are of any of these things that are coming in because you're just going off and pay for a license here, pay for a license there. And again, like I'm not saying that every company needs a CTO, but it's these things that we try to bring to the table and say, okay, think about these things, right? Because what happens uh, when you add this additional piece in, where's that data going? Who's using it? Who owns that data? Because if you speak to zero, zero say they own your data. Actually, it's your data. You put it in. And that's yeah. one thing we are saying about spending before and the spend on a CTO and their role to understand where the money is being spent in the business, that value can be added. So you have it on the product side where you're building the product. It's not just about, oh, can we shave a few dollars here off the day rate or whatever. It's about, are we building the right thing that's adding the most value to the business, to our customers, so we retain our customers and we're moving the right direction towards the organization's strategic goals. And then it's that internal piece that we're kind of talking about here where we're joking about, well, all the way subscriptions. Well, actually, that is that spaghetti is really important to, to sort of think about that strategically because, you know, your head of marketing will go out and, as you say, go, oh, well, we're going to spend... $30 a month on this one thing. And before you know it, it's, you know, a few thousand and it's embedded and you can't unpick it. He goes, well, if we'd, if we, if we'd been strategic about it, we could have actually leveraged an existing piece of software already using or something better or something that scales better for our organization. So I think CTLs are really important in those discussions as well. Yeah. And also it's like housekeeping, right? So how many, how often do you go and do a monthly review of all your subscriptions and figure out how much you're using? I mean, there's companies out there making a lot of money telling you you're spending too much money, right? <laughs> so it's it's great. It's crazy, right? I've said that a few times within our business. I've sort of said, right, at some point we need to do a review. I mean, you know, it's your famous last words at some point. It's exactly that. We just get, we just carry on with it. Because the, the, there's probably an argument to say that there's 
newer kids on the block who've got some exciting stuff as well who are as you say at startup who want to prove themselves because that's the only way that you're going to enter market and win market share but um as i said didn't i right at the start we could talk and talk and talk and i can see our time starting to wean away from us so can i just move on to um some other things that it's really interesting what you've done throughout your career, like we said earlier on, but you've also talked quite a lot about the startup side of things and being a, a startup mentor. So just tell us a little bit more about what your favorite thing has been about being a startup mentor. I think for me, it's always the, the ideas that are coming through, right? So one of the ones has been particularly uh, edifying, I guess, is the Founder Institute in Johannesburg. So, I was on Lunch Club. I don't know if you guys know Lunch Club is that networking uh, tool, right? It's pretty good. And I met the lady who was running Keshni. So he runs the, the the cohort out there. So she said, do you want to be a mentor? And I said, yeah, cool. It'd be. And when you speak to those guys, right? And I know this sounds a bit crazy, but they 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 are solving real problems, right? Most of the times, and I don't want to kind of denigrate all of the, all of the startup founders in the West, but, you know, sometimes it's just yet another food delivery business. Like, I don't know if you, if you found this, right? But during... COVID suddenly had like lots of people wanted to start dark kitchens, right? Like there's 15 dark kitchens or everyone suddenly wanted to do last minute delivery. Like how many more of these companies do you need, right? Whereas when you're talking to the guys in, let's say South Africa, they're talking about, well, we can't get loans to buy a house because we have no credit score, right? So how do we create a credit score that is valid for for them? And there's you know companies doing that by building up rent. It's, it's just a different set of problems because you're looking at the world very differently, right? And I think, and I and I kind of do mentorship in the US and in Asia and Africa, different parts of the world. And everyone is solving different problems. And for me, what I love is the fact that you, you've got all this innovation happening. The sad thing is there's not enough money behind a lot of these guys. So they've got great ideas, but they have, it's hard for them to execute because they need the they need the money. So I mean, I, for me, it's just that kind of vibrancy and, and just the pure younger people going out there and just finding a problem, figuring out how to solve it. Do you know something? I love that because I, I can massively relate to it in a very different way. Obviously, you do it as a job, but I do it as um, we um, support young enterprise. And I, I come away from these events and I come away from these sessions and I just feel so happy that I've been able to give something back. But it is, it's, it's the buzz, isn't it? It's the feeling of what a great idea that was. How can that come to life from your side of things? And financially, that's probably what holds it back. Whereas the feeling that you get from doing it, though, and just supporting them is brilliant, isn't it? It's just so good. Yeah, for sure. It, it is because, again, it's that maybe it's a factor of just getting older, right? It's that energy and the and the creativity that is there that maybe we lose because we get old and cynical, right? I don't know. <laughs> the, we tried that 10 years ago, didn't work kind of attitude, right? Is that the... Yeah, I mean that's that is again a lot. Of, I find that in my own company, where I was with one of the other senior managers, I said, he said to me, "Oh, I'm not doing that." I said, "Why? Oh, it didn't work four years ago." I was like, "Dude, four years ago, right?" Yeah, it's like <laughs> the world has flipped since then. Every four years, I think that happens a lot. I just generally done it. You're absolutely right. I mean, we see we have big clients that we really want to get into, and we really want to do a good job for them. And you hear the name mentioned of that particular client, and then you hear, "Oh, you can't get into them. They're really, really difficult." And it's like, why can't you? Why can't you? Somebody somewhere has had an opportunity with them, but it's like you say, you just become a bit 
weathered from taking the knocks and then it gets passed down so if you remember we had a daily jazz on here a long long time ago and one thing that he said that stuck in my mind is one of the hardest things is to unlearn what you know and i think that's so true and it's because it's because you've tried it and you know you know you're bringing your experience to the table but you also have to bring curiosity to the table and say what could work you know what what needs to be true for this to happen um and they're better questions rather than we tried this 10 years ago um oh. Yeah. It's a great thing about youth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's full of hope, which yeah. is fantastic. Um, and I know we're running out of time, and I want to before we came on air, we briefly started talking about podcasting, but I want to ask you now. So, what kind of what drew you to it, um, Barav? What was what was the the draw to do it, and, and how's it going? Like, how are you finding it? Yeah, so back in the day, everyone said you had to write a blog, right? So you had to write like a three hundred word blog, six hundred word blog, and I, I, for me, that was just torture. So I said, why why would I do that? And then I. Because this is, I started the podcast in 2017, right? And um, I realized that I knew a bunch of interesting people. So why don't I just interview them? And then I don't have to write a blog. And maybe we can listen to that. And then maybe I can get someone to write a blog off the back of it. And, you know, obviously things have changed now. Whereas previously, you'd have to listen back to it and, and then write something. But now you can stick it into Toasty and then you get an article mm. straight away, right? Which is all good. But for me, the whole thing was... I was involved in various different kind of startup communities, met a lot of founders. I thought, well, this is a great way to showcase them. But also, even if they're raising, doing some fundraising, crowdfunding or whatever, they can use this as a nice little marketing material for themselves. I get to kind of showcase people that I know and and find interesting. I get to have some interesting conversations. And uh, and it's a win-win. There's a lot of content out there for for people. So we've got just under 300 now, I think. Plus, I run a second podcast, which is a real-world entrepreneurship one, which is that's a little bit different in that it's myself and a guy called Alan Clark, who is, uh, who I think used to not so much anymore, did a lot of work with Scottish enterprise. Right. And as an advisor there, and I actually met him through a startup, I created it and he was my advisor. And we realized that there's very few podcasts that really talk about the actual world of entrepreneurship and how difficult it is and, and all the challenges you're going to face. So we wanted to create something that was just talked directly to people say, yeah, you're going to fall out with your co-founder. This is what you need to watch out for. This is how you protect yourself. You're going to have problems trying to get your first client. Don't worry about it. You know, you're going to have burnout. You're going to have all the, so that's a very different focus. That's more kind of at a personal level, things that we talked through, things that we went through ourselves because he, you know, he's done well in his past. And um, the more the Atom CTO is, is for me, it was more kind of bringing knowledge to people because there's just so many. And again, like I've interviewed people from around the world, right? So you've got really interesting different perspectives on, on entrepreneurship. Can you just shout out the names of your two podcasts and we'll try and get also get a link in the notes? Yeah, so it's Atom CTO podcast, which you can find from atomcto.com and then the real world entrepreneurship. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but. So we've, we're coming to an end and we always like to ask this question. So what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, it's funny because I asked this on my podcast as well, right? And I always say, don't say buy Bitcoin. So I mean, buying Bitcoin would have been good back when it was a dollar. When I... I've asked other people this question. They kind of talk about, you know, take more risks, do things earlier, all of that kind of stuff. I, I think that actually I'd just say to myself, keep doing what you're doing because I, even when I was younger, I used to kind of have these conversations with myself at every significant birthday, right? So whether you're 18, 21, 25, 30, 35. And I'd ask myself like, do I, do I like what I've done over the last few years? Do I want to do more of it or do I want to do something else? And invariably, it kind of set me on different paths. That's why I ended up traveling so much and doing so many different things, right? Because I realized that, you know, when I moved from Norway to, to Ireland, I actually was at a, at a very good job and a very good position, but I realized I was just bored. And so 
doing the thing in Ireland was really starting from scratch again, but it was again, a great learning curve. Right. So, I, I mean, I think what I would probably tell myself is save more money, <laughs> just spend a little bit less. <laughs> you don't need that fifth point. Right. And I think that's probably what I would say to myself. Brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Bye. Rav, it's been really interesting talking to you. Uh, I will be listening back to this episode because I think I got a lot out of it. Um, thank you, Zach, uh, my co-host today. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, we are on LinkedIn. You can message uh, either myself or Zach there or the podcast. And um, We have a website, northwestify.co.uk. You can jump on there and you can uh, submit an idea. If you know someone that would be great on the podcast, if you think you would like to be on the podcast, again, please get in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you.